Aloha and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Got Your Six podcast. This six-question podcast brings together high performers to share their methods, strategies, and ideas delivered in an informative and, most importantly, actionable way that'll help you lead yourself and those around you from the battlefield to the boardroom. Coming to you every episode, I'm your host, Tony Nash. And into the breach. Nothing mentioned on this podcast is an endorsement or opinion of the Department of Defense. I got your six, we got your back. Got your six, we got your back. Got your six, we got your back. I got your six. I don't know what you've been told. The views we have are all our own. Yes, we serve the DOD. But my opinions come from me. We got a great episode today. Mike Irwin was with us, Lieutenant Colonel currently in the United States Army Reserves. He's an educator and also leadership coach. He has touched so many different lives in so many different ways. He is the founder and executive director of Team RWB, also known as Red, White, and Blue, a nonprofit that seeks to enrich veterans' lives by connecting them with their communities through physical and social activities. He is also the co-founder and president of the Positivity Project, a nonprofit group that aims to empower the youth to build positive relationships and co-authored the 2017 book, Lead Yourself. Mike is a huge believer that you need to lead yourself first before you can leave others. Servant leadership at its core. He's passionate about leadership, service, community building, and people improvement with the goal to inspire others by sharing motivating messages, stories, and his experience as a leader, educator, and soldier. He is a graduate of the United States Military Academy, class of 2002, served on three combat tours uh, with the 1st Cavalry Division and 3rd Special Forces Group. After his third deployment, he attended the University of Michigan, where he received his master's in positive psychology and leadership. Mike, thanks for being here. Hey, Tony, great to be here. Fired up. Yeah, me too. I've been a Team RWB member essentially from when it started, well, back when mm-hmm. I was a cadet and you know, graduated yeah. in 2010. So it's, it's cool to see what's happened in the last 11 years and just everything you've been able to accomplish along the way. And I just can't wait to get into it. And now that you're, I wouldn't say you're, you're not out of the Army, right? You're still in the reserves. But is there anything daily you kind of implement um, from your time in the military? Big time. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is, is what I just kind of call the quick start to the day. That's, that's pretty important. Um, you know, I don't, I remember a day at West Point or, you know, really in the army where you kind of have these slow wake ups. So I've become a real big believer, um, of, of taking that discipline and that practice with me out of the military. And that is you know, how to have that good, strong, solid routine. I'm not as productive on the, on the physical activity every single morning, like I was when in the military, when I'm on active duty, but I've found a way to really start weaving that back in as consistently as possible in the morning. And you know, if you're going to do, you know, I tell people this all the time, when you do physical activity, like do it in the morning, you, you reap the benefits of it all day long and the military trained that in me. Um, and so I'm, I'm working on, on getting that right just about every day. But for the meantime, that's something I definitely look to my time in the military for, the reminder about why that's so important to do. I know you're a huge fan of the Jacob's Ladder. Is that right? Yes, <laughs> it is. I, I, I believe company's actually based out of Buffalo, New York, by the way. Uh, yeah, it is. So uh, 
Yeah, such a phenomenal exercise. My 2009 deployment to Afghanistan, I was the assistant intel or I was the intelligence officer for half of Afghanistan with the Special Operations Task Force. So we had SEALs and DEA and Green Berets and, and all kinds of folks. And uh, so I just worked like relentlessly on that mission because it was such an honor to work with people of such high caliber and doing my best as an intel officer, you know, to make a difference. But I took time usually in the middle of the day at around like 2 to 3.30, as long as there wasn't a troops in contact, you know, a firefight going on. Um, I would go spend about an hour 15 or so in the gym. And, oh, uh, and again, going back to some of these upstate New York connections, a, a Buffalo native, uh, Steve Notary was my workout partner. He played strong safety for the Citadel. And, you know, we would hit the gym. We would work out really hard and all that. But on that 09 rotation, I fell in love with the Jacob's Ladder and I remember beginning on it for the first time. And I think I got like three minutes before like, you know, tapping out, like, man, I got to get, I got to go sit down. And, and I worked my way, my, my senior NCO, Blake Horst and I over the, uh, a master sergeant over the next like four months, we'd talk so much trash to each other. And, uh, we got to the point, I think I got up to like 48 minutes without stopping. Um, and I think he was right around there. We were, we were pretty much like neck and neck, but Bottom line is I am back at it. I ordered it with the tax uh, return a few years ago. It has been collecting dust for a while, but I'm back on it with a vengeance. And I'm up to, I started out at, again, three or four minutes again. I'm already up to 18 or 20 minutes right now. I climbed uh, 2,000 feet the other day and uh, just loving the Jacob's Ladder. It's this ladder that's on this chain. So the, as fast as you go, it's going to just kind of, it's going to keep up with you. So if you slow down, It'll kind of slow otherwise, but if you're if you're cruising, it's very high cardio. You determine the pace, right? Absolutely, and, and the hard part when you go slow is it turns into like a, like a squat, yeah. right? Because when you're going slow, like you got to use it. So you're paying the piper one way or the other. You're either paying it with with your your ticker. Your heart rate is 160, 165, 170, and you're going fast. And there's minimal impact on your legs, but there's a big impact on your heart and your lungs. Or you're going slower, and you're like, ugh. You're grinding it out. Your heart rate stays lower, but your legs are having to work a lot harder from a muscular standpoint. If you find a Jacob's Ladder in your gym or wherever, like definitely try it out. Try, like Mike said, go for about three to five minutes if you can. It's phenomenal, phenomenal exercise. I'm a huge fan. If we had room in the gym here at the house, we would probably have one. We talked, you know, Team RWB, Positivity Project. Leaded yourself when you released that in 2017, got the other book coming out later this year. Um, is there one book or course or even a, like a YouTube video or something that you always kind of constantly go back to that has really impacted your life and helped you do all these great things and put out these great messaging? Yeah, I think that um, you know, one book I learned a lot from on one of my deployments, and most of these books are ones that I read while deployed. For whatever reason, your brain is more malleable. It's I think more receptive of the message, but um, was called 100 Ways to Motivate Yourself by Steve Chandler. It was like very tactical, practical advice, but a lot of just interesting thoughts. He's like a motivational coach and a motivational speaker out of Arizona. Um, and that was pretty good. But for me, by far the most instrumental book has been The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. You know, it's a fictional story, but it's it feels very, very real. Absolutely incredible journey. Um, you know, it documents Santiago, you know, the shepherd boy throughout this journey of life. And why I love it so much is it's just so powerful because it basically, in a much more eloquent way than everything happens for a reason, it makes that point. And it can be dangerous when we tell that to people, everything happens for a reason, don't worry about it. Like, but the reality is if you take that approach and that view into life, that the setbacks and the adversity and the mistakes that you make, while it feels like in the moment, you're like, oh, 
man, that was terrible. What a big mistake. If you can learn to see that for what it is, is it's, you know, I said this the other day, but you know, a setback is a set up for a comeback. Like that, that's not Pollyanna. That's not like, you know, wishful thinking. That's like a real thing. Do you have that mindset? And in that book, it makes such a incredible point that you, you can achieve all the success and do this and do that and then lose it all. And then think that you're not going to get back, but then you can build it up and then you build up something back that's even stronger than what you had before. And then you can lose it all. And then you can find something that like, it's just such a beautiful message that we all need to be reminded of. And everyone who's read The Alchemist is out there nodding their head you know, viciously right now. And for those who have not, uh, it's about 130 pages, short read, and, and you can get through it. I read it about every couple of years because uh, it's just that powerful for me. No, and like you said, it's extremely powerful to be reminded, like our failures set us up for our successes, right? So like, I'm sure there's been a failure, or many failures. I'd love for you to go into one failure that's really ended up being like your greatest success. Yeah, geez, a whole bunch of them. When people ask this question on a podcast, ah, there's too many to count, you know, um, and I don't like to give the same answer because um, when people who listen to the podcast, like, wait, I've heard, you, I've heard you talk about that one before. Um, you know, I think that like, I'll just give you an example of the Positivity Project. So co-founded it with uh, West Point 04 grad, Jeff Bryan, great American. Uh, we're bringing character education through the lens of positive psychology to Currently, right now, 675 schools, about 400,000 students across America. And, you know, we started the organization, you know, as a nonprofit, you know, with a general business model around philanthropy. And this is, by the way, like some kind of advice for people out there who are ever thinking about starting a nonprofit. My advice now to everybody is think through your revenue model. Because whether you're a for-profit or not-for-profit, doesn't really matter. Like, you, you need to have a revenue model if you want to pay yourself and or other people to do the work. And so... We made this this prediction that that if we sit there and we can show the value and we can point to what I've done with Team Red, White, and Blue, that this would be something foundations and funders would want, would want to get behind. And what we found over and over and over again those first two years of the organization is that foundations don't really like to focus character education and social-emotional learning. They say, hey, schools have budgets for that. If it's good, they're going to pay for it. Um, and boy, was that frustrating to hear over and over and over again in 2016 and 17 and into 18. And finally, we just had the realization of like, well, if we're going to make it, we're going to really transform the future of the country through social emotional learning, then we've got to find a way to be able to generate the revenue to do it. And so bottom line is like big mistake up front on the revenue model and then started to say, okay, well, we're going to sustain ourselves not by spending a lot of time seeking grants and foundation funding. Um, we're going to build a business. We're going to build a model that schools want to pay for. And we're going to build a curriculum and a strategy with the resources and the training and everything that they need to go out there and, and justify spending thousands of dollars on this product and on this service. So that's what we did. And so it's turned into this incredible success because we now have an organization that is much more sustainable and much less reliant upon philanthropy or other people deciding, hey, this, is, this organization is doing good work or not. It's now the proof is in the pudding. Schools are saying, this is great. This is awesome. And we're going to pay for it. And then how has that been with this kind of like Zoom learning? I'm sure the way the structure has been set up has kind of had to morph a little bit. But like you said, the foundation was already there. You know, it's, it's arguably more important than ever. Because, to, you know, again, our, our mission, our, our northern star is to empower America's youth to build positive relationships and become their best selves. And so kids need more help than ever being able to understand themselves, but also understand other people. Um, they've gotten a lot less repetitions interacting with each other. 
in person in the past year. But even prior to that, like uh, when you look at the data from the 90s versus the 2010s, I think it's the average kid in the United States has lost about 12 hours of free play per week um, over that 20-year or 25-year window. Um, what that means is over the period of a lifetime is just do the math. You know, that's basically 50 hours a month, 600 hours a year. And so from the age of two uh, until 10, I mean, you're, you're looking at, you know, what's that, you know, nearly 5,000 hours that kids used to just figure stuff out on their own, interact with each other. Um, yes, sometimes be mean or say some things that they shouldn't have, but then learn that there's real consequences for doing that. Um, and now pre-COVID, like, again, they already lost a lot of those in-person interactions. We all know you can't, through a text message or social media, you can't extrapolate the emotions like you can in person or even on a Zoom. So long answer to your question is that uh, it's more critical than ever. And in this year where kids have had such little interaction with each other, or if they do, that people are wearing masks and all kinds of stuff that makes it harder for them to read emotions. Um, this stuff is more important than ever and will be for a long time coming. No, that's, that's a solid point too. And it's like, it's just been this mental shift that I think everyone's had to experience over the last year where we've had to change and look and understand these new like beliefs and behaviors and how we adapt those into our lives. Is there any other thing within say like the last five years that you found that some sort of new belief, behavior, habit that you has really improved your life or like with the family, really anything? Yeah, I mean, for me, I'd say like, uh, and I learned about this initially in 2014 with Tom Tierney, uh, former uh, CEO of Bain Consulting Firm, um, and then really started to implement it when I got out of the military. But you, you, know, you probably have heard before the Eisenhower box and really thinking through how you prioritize your time. And, and he kind of breaks it into a two by two matrix of, is this urgent or not? Is this important or not? And, you know, and I also learned this lesson from Jim Collins as well, but he, he actually tr tracks his time, not quite like a lawyer down to like the eight minutes or 12 minutes or whatever it is that lawyers do these days. I think it's six minutes. It's one tenth of an hour, but like they, you know, he really tracks his time. How many of us actually track our time and know how we spend our time? Like it's very, like very hazy and foggy for, for most people. So I, I don't get down to that level of like to like, you know, six minutes or even 12 minutes. I do. I keep a pretty good finger on the pulse of, I spent too much time on email the past couple of days, you know, or I spent not enough time exercising, you know, in the past week or even things like leisure, like golf. Like I, I love golf. I played uh, like twice a year for like a long period of time. And in the past year, I've made it a priority to get out there like once a month. So just tracking those things becomes very important and making sure that you have as much time as possible to spend on things that are important or not they're urgent, especially when they're not urgent. And that's things like our recovery, our relationships, planning, reading books, prayer, solitude and reflection, eating healthy, exercise, like all those things like are part of that, what I call box two, which is things that are important, but not urgent. And so the problem is you can just keep kicking the can down the road, down the road, down the road, because they're not, they're not urgent. And so um, that's been that model and that framework has been uh, transformational for me in terms of my life. It's helped me make decisions like getting rid of cable from the house, you know, stripping most apps off my cell phone, all those kinds of things that are not important, but they were taking up a lot of my time mindlessly and therefore got in the way of all those other activities. That's one of those things that you don't think about, right? Everybody loves to like plan and have a calendar and stuff, but you never really go back and revisit 
what you did, like, you know, kind of like an AAR after action review of, I really spent too much time on email or I didn't spend enough time with the family or working out and getting what I really needed out of this. That's big brain thinking. I, I love that. And that's something I'm going to start looking into. Like, it's great to plan, but I really need to visit, like, how did I do coming out of that? Yeah. So now that you have that ability, like you said, would you say golf is the skill that you're currently working on or talent? Or is there another, another thing? Yeah. Uh, is being a farmer, like farmer. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, that's much more part of it is, you know, we, so here on the farm, we've got, uh, five goats, two great Pyrenees dogs, nine ducks. Uh, we've got 25 chickens, two roosters and 23 layers, four pigs, you know, so, and then meat birds, meat, so we do, we do meat chickens and then meat turkeys. And so, uh, and then that doesn't include the orchard, blueberries, apple trees, uh, blueberry and strawberries, you know, pear trees, peach trees, and then the vegetable garden. And then, then you got to like mow the pasture. And so, I mean, it's, you know, it's a fair amount of time, but if you read the foreword to lead yourself first, Jim Collins talks about Sam Walton used to have what he called tractor time, which was like that time to really think through and just um, work his way through problems. And so, I do a fair amount of my thinking and my decision-making, you know, while I'm doing chores around the farm or while I'm just on the property. And it's been really, really helpful, but go back to your question of like, yeah, that's like where I'm, I mean, I started out and we were a train wreck. I mean, we had coyote attacks and hawk attacks and like, you know, it was like all these things went wrong in the first like three months out here. Our, our water had a huge algae bloom. We had a deep, a deep, deep hornet's nest that was stinging us every time. And, and hornets hurt. This isn't like a beast thing. Like, it, like yeah. your, your hand goes numb for like, you know, like a day. You know, that kind of stuff was all happened. We moved out here and it was looking back on it. It was like, Ooh, we don't know squat yeah. <laughs> about, about, how to, about how to live on the land. We moved out to 32 acres. And so um, that's definitely, I'm not sure if I call it a hobby, but um, I'd call it somewhere between a hobby and, uh, and just like my daily life. And it's been humbling, but awesome at the same time. No, that's awesome. So then we'll close out with the, the last question is, and I have an idea, but I want to hear it from you. How are you better than yesterday? Ooh, um, well, I think first of all, like, I, I think this concept of, you know, constant improvement is, is huge. Um, I you often hear people say, Hey, get 1% better every day. Um, but if you get 1% better every day, like if you look at that, like you're like five times better you know, by the end of the year. So I tell people all the time, I, I think that the, the equation is wrong. It's get, can you get 1% better each month? Right. And, and so space it out a little bit more because, um, the idea, like if you're just trying to be very scientific and algorithmic about it, like getting 1% better every day, if you do the math, I mean, like you're like five times the person you were at the end of the year than you were before. So I think it's much more about gradual progress. And I think even if you get 1% better every month, you're going to be like, you know, 27% or something like that better by the end of the year than, than what you were. But that's a great, it's a great question. It's something I think that, you know, hopefully I never stop grappling with until, you know, I get ready to go to Sod City. You know, like I, I want to constantly be thinking about how to, you know, how to get better. You know, for me, I think that, you know, I think about it a lot of times like a tango, you know, two steps forward, one step back. You know, sometimes I make great progress with my my relationship with technology and, and digital. Like sometimes I'll be like great about like shutting my phone off from five to eight o'clock at night, literally turning it off and boom. And then I find myself other, you know, days like keeping it on and I got an important message I'm looking for or whatever. And I stick to it. Um, and so even though like that is a tango, right, I make some progress and I step back. I think that's 
where I, you know, continue to strive to be better every single day. And I think that we all, almost all of us, I think I speak for almost all people. And I say like our relationship with technology and how we utilize it, how we ensure that it doesn't put distance between us and the people that we love and the people right in front of us. I think that's a really important question we should all be asking. It's not linear though. You're not going to just keep getting better, 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 better. I think you get better, then you make some mistakes and it's okay. Then you get back on the train. And that to me is a huge part of it, Tony, is working to get better so that I don't allow the information age and the ability to consume article after article, after post, after podcast, after you name it, you can, you can just, just eat, 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 you know, information. Um, and while it, you, you can put it under the umbrella of I'm making myself better. Yes, you are, but it's not all better because there's a cost to your incessant obsession with information. And so I read a great article, you know, a piece by Cal Newport the other day, who wrote a great book called Digital Minimalism, talking about, it's called Indefensive Thinking. And he talks about Ernest Hemingway, who quoted something along the lines of, I spend a lot of my time thinking and a little of my time writing. You know, like, I think we want to, we want, really want to promote like more time thinking, more time engaging with ideas and less time just doing the work, because a lot of the work that we do is actually busy work. Uh, and it makes us feel good but it's not actually making us better. And so that to me is my answer to your question about trying to get better is uh, that little bit of improvement on my, my relationship with technology and how I make it work for me and not against me. And then having that grace with yourself to realize that that constant growth is going to come in time. It doesn't need to come every day or every look at month wise. 100%. Great insight. That's phenomenal. I, I, I really think like that's, and that's another thing you just, you put on the bulletin board and every time you get down, you look up and you're like, you know what? Like we still got the month. Sometimes you are going to take that step back in the tango and, but the dance is still going. You got to keep totally. moving. You can't, I can't read it because it's all faded out. It says, warning, use me, don't abuse me. <laughs> right? Like right on the iPhone. Right on the iPhone, you know, but it's like, that's just the whole thing is like, it's very easy you know, to get frustrated by. And then then the negative self-talk starts of, oh, I was on my diet or I had a good exercise plan and then I slipped up and you can beat yourself up or you can just take it in stride and then get back on, you know? And I think that's how it is with our use of technology. We're going to make some mistakes and because I never feel good, right? After 30, if if I go through like a 20 minute scrolling session of Instagram stories and Instagram, I just sit there and I'm like, ugh. So it's just, yeah, I feel like this. I did like, I just had like a, you know, uh, you know, two donuts or like or a big, you know, big Whopper meal and, you know, 1400 calories in one setting. And it's like, oh man, I feel awful. Uh, right. So it's like, don't just keep eating those, those value meals or those donuts, get back on the train with some, some eggs and an omelet, you know, uh, the next day. And I think that analogy, you know, is again, how I think about a lot of this stuff. Oh, I love that. So where can people find you? Where's the best place if they want to reach out? I mean, you, we have all team RWB positivity project. Yeah, like I said, I'm on all those different. You know, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Irwin RWB on, on Instagram and on Twitter. So um, both of those places, that's where I, I push probably the most stuff would be increasingly on LinkedIn. But you know, a lot of times on on uh, Instagram or on Twitter. But uh, you know, I try to minimize how much I push and how much I interact. So I give myself kind of a, a certain bandwidth in terms of time. But that's where you can find information. Awesome, Mike. Thank you again so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, Tony. This has been great, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening, Sixers. This episode comes to you thanks to the great people over at 10,000. 10,000 makes the best training gear, hands down, across the board. And my favorite are the tactical shorts. 
the tack line at 10,000 is incredible. Ultra light and durable. The waistband is tough as nails. Zippers never stick. I can't say enough great things about the 10,000 shorts. They come in five and seven inch inseams, depending on how long you like your shorts. And of course, my favorite is OD Green. If you go to 10,000.cc and use the promo code GOTYOUR6, that's got your and the number six at checkout, you'll get 15% off your order. That's 10,000.cc, not .com. Use the promo code GOTYOUR6 for 15% off. Six is right in a new segment in a couple episodes and I'm super excited about it. Talking to all these incredible high performers, I've realized we need to stack the wins to achieve massive success. And I want you to know I have your back in these accomplishments. Let me know, go to either Twitter or Instagram, got your six pod with the number six. There's a Google form there. Let me know a win you or somebody else recently experienced and deserves some recognition. I want you to know I'm stacking the wins with you each episode, so we'll give you a little shout out at the end of each episode, just so you know we got your six. I don't know what you've been told, Sixers, but the lawyers would like us to remind you that the views, opinions, and comments expressed on the Got Your Six podcast are solely those of the hosts or guests to include current and previous Department of Defense employees and should in no way be considered the opinions of or endorsements on behalf of the Department of Defense or any of its components, divisions, contractors, or other current and previous staff members.